All right, so I was uh, speaking at a church a few months back, and I was showing a map of the world and showing how Coca-Cola has basically infiltrated every country in the world, and they have spread the good news of Coke as far as the eye can see. And then I put up a map of uh, the world and said, now here's the places in the world where the gospel doesn't exist, and how is it that Coke has succeeded in spreading the good news of Coke, and the church has not done quite as well in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. We still have those two billion people that don't yet have access to the gospel. And all of a sudden, somebody shouts from the back of the room, like no no hand raised, just yells, because the children, the descendants of Isaac, will not share their inheritance with the descendants of Ishmael. And my mouth literally dropped open, and I thought, we have to talk about this idea of Isaac and Ishmael. Muslims, Christians, and, and the, the zombie. zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> we are back. Yeah, and it's uh, just Howard and I this time, and we're going to talk about an issue that has become rather controversial in churches, Isaac and Ishmael. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. Um, I think some people just uh, condemn Muslims outright because uh, they say that, you know, this is the we're the chosen people or the Jews were, and then hey, we're grafted in, right? We're, we're grafted, grafted in. in, right? And, uh, Muslims are out. And, That's right. Right. Yeah. Wrong descendants, wrong father, father yeah. Ishmael. Yeah. And so I, I, I looked, I guess, for some information on either, uh, arguments and I didn't really find very much. So I really want to hear about this. All right. So you hear a lot of sermons these days, uh, particularly about if, uh, well, think about it, Howard, when you hear a sermon on Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, going all the way up to Genesis chapter 25 with this idea that God is going to bless Abraham. He's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to bless those that bless him, curse those that curse and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. We always come up to this idea of Abraham was not patient. He compromised on the promise of God, and thus we have the Muslim world as a result, his compromise. Yeah, almost like a, um, a disciplining or a correction. Right. Like this is what happens when you don't. When you don't wait on God, you end up with 1.7 billion Muslims. That's kind of the way that it's been preached. Right. And that goes right along with the public narrative of a lot of hate right now. Yeah, politics, man. So... Well, let's look at the, the context of that passage and really look at what happened. Because one, I would not be so quick to condemn a man in his patience when he had waited a decade. First and foremost, like, I was pretty patient. Yeah, yeah okay. I never uh, thought about that. And then, and then secondly, um, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but Sarah is not actually mentioned in that initial promise in Genesis mm-hmm. chapter 12. It's the seed of Abraham. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that. A lot of people also don't realize that Abraham had other wives as well. Uh, Keturah is a wife of, of Abraham, and you see the blessing of all of Abraham's children, and then there's that blessing or the, the covenant circumcision, which also applies to Ishmael, Isaac, and all the other children of the household of Abraham. So That's the right. household of Abraham is blessed. We see that. So how do we get this idea that Islam comes from Ishmael and it's a curse? So that's what we really want to focus in on. Yeah. Pray tell. But look at Genesis chapter 12. I think it's worth looking at because this is what John Stott says is, uh, I can't remember how he words it, but he basically says this is the 
uh, kind of the linking together, the linchpin of all of Scripture, maybe the most clear part of the entire narrative of the Bible here in Genesis chapter 12. And that's because Paul in Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ is the fulfillment of that promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, which clearly comes through Isaac. So anybody that thinks I'm going to say that it's not Isaac, he's not the blessed child, just go ahead and get that out of your mind. Yeah, let's, uh, let's highlight that right here. <laughs> but I, I want to start with a story. I went to the mosque about two years ago during the celebration of Eid. And the celebration of Eid is the Muslim festival. Howard, I think you mentioned that you had attended one of these. Yep. Where they celebrate and remember Abraham's, uh, he was going to sacrifice his son, uh, but God provided a, a ransom, a momentous sacrifice is what the Quran says. And they remember this every year by sacrificing camels, goats, cows. Camels. Oh, yeah. I mean, this just, it's a bloody sacrifice day and remembering God's provision of a ram so that Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. So I went to the mosque and uh, I said, hey guys, have you heard the story of Eid? And surprisingly, they had bits and pieces, but they didn't know the whole story because it isn't real clear in the Quran as it is in the Bible, in the biblical narrative. So I went and I was sharing the story about Abraham and God telling him, I want you to offer me your only son, taking him up on the mountains, even carrying the stick, saying, hey, here's the fire, here's the wood, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham saying, the Lord will provide. So I'm sharing the story, and all of a sudden, one of the Muslims goes, yeah, that was his son uh, Isaac, right? And I had not said a name, (laughs) because I didn't want to make the name the issue. And I said, before, actually, as I was going to say yes, another Muslim says, no, it was Ishmael. And then another Muslim says, no, it was Isaac. And they start to argue right there in the middle of the mosque after the service, whether it was Isaac or Ishmael. And I'm just sitting there. Wait, so it didn't say in the Quran? So they look at me and they say, which is it? (laughs) And I said, well, the Quran doesn't actually say. (laughs) And they said, sure it does. And I said, well, grab the Quran. I believe it's Surah 37. I'm not 100% sure on that. I believe it's Surah 37. If you look at uh, verse 101, maybe, um, it says basically that Abraham called him to sacrifice his son, but it doesn't name him. And early in Islam, commentators believed that it was either Isaac or Ishmael. They weren't certain, but they were okay with either interpretation. Nowadays, it's pretty common that everybody thinks it was Ishmael within Islam and within Christianity, of course, in the Bible and the the Torah. It's pretty clear that it's Isaac. Wow. So they argued and argued, and they looked to me, and I said, well, you can look in the Quran. It doesn't say. They looked. It doesn't say. And they said, well, what do you think? And I said, I wasn't making a big deal about the name. I just wanted to tell you about the story and about the sacrifice and ask you a question. And my question to them was, why did God have to provide the sacrifice? Why couldn't God just say, don't sacrifice your son, and that be it? And they sat, and they thought, and they thought, and they thought. And every time it's Eid, I ask that question to Muslims. Wait, so when you said they were thinking, so you didn't, like, rush to answer the question? You just kind of... Oh, no, no. Ask the question. Let them think. Let them talk it out. I mean, there was all kinds of interesting responses. So how many guys were there? There was about... 10. Wow. And I'd say it was about three guys that believed it was Isaac. The other seven believed it was Ishmael. And they were all kind of discussing this together. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at one point they were saying, go get the imam. And I'm like, the imam's busy. Don't distract them, you know, because <laughs> I know what the imam would say. It doesn't say. Oh, right, right. You know, it yeah. really doesn't say. And, and Islam has been divided over this. Um, nowadays, it's pretty normal that you'll get most people saying Ishmael. But if you go back and you look at the earliest text, it could be Isaac. It could be Ishmael. If you just look at the Quran, I think you'll probably come more to the conclusion of Isaac because he is named a little bit earlier and after the passage. Okay. Anyway, so biblically speaking, let's talk about where the two religions sort of divide over this issue. You have the promise to Abraham. Abraham's wife is barren. Sarah comes up with the idea, why don't you take my maidservant, 
she can become your wife. Maybe I can have my children through her. Now, this wouldn't have been necessarily a compromise on what God said because God said through the seed of Abraham. And it would have been totally understandable to take another wife and have another child and that become the heir so that uh, I believe it's Eleazar is the other one that Abraham's concerned about. He says, oh, I might have this heir go to my servant Eleazar. And God says, nope, it's going to come through your seed. Hmm. And so he's going to have that happen. All right, so the question is, when, when Sarah suggests this, you know, perhaps I can build my family through her, is this a compromise? And I think people might jump too quickly to assume that it is. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm saying, I don't know. I wasn't there. But God never really seems to condemn what Abraham does. Right. He's kind of silent about it. Doesn't say anything. In fact, God ends up blessing this child. Now, some people will argue that, well, he compromised on uh, his promise from God, and he had this child, now we have the Muslim world. But the big problem with that line of thinking is, if God was not instrumental in the birth of Ishmael, which I'm not saying he was, it could be, I don't know. He was certainly instrumental in preserving the life of Ishmael. Yeah, that's true. Because we have, uh, basically, when uh, Hagar becomes pregnant, she despises, uh, Sarah despises her. We don't know why, it just says that Sarah despises her. And uh, she says to Abraham, I put my slave into your arms. Now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And basically, your slave woman is in your hands. And Abraham says, do whatever you think is best. And Sarah mistreated Hagar, and so she ran away. Now, if... Like I said, if God wasn't involved in the, in the beginning, he's certainly involved in the preservation of this child and his mother's life because they're out in the desert, they're probably heading back for Egypt, and they're going to die. All of a sudden, who appears? An angel of the Lord appears, and there's this connection between Hagar and the angel of the Lord. A couple things happen. One, the angel of the Lord says, uh, I've heard you crying, and you're pregnant, you're pregnant with a son, and you should name him Ishmael. So we have the first naming wow. of the bite. We have the first naming, you know, by yeah. God, Ishmael, the Lord who hears. All right. And then she names God, which is pretty phenomenal. Right. There's this Egyptian slave woman naming God and saying, Elorai, you are the Lord who sees me. Hmm. And then there's this incredible blessing, which is almost always interpreted as a curse when it's preached on. I think it's one of the most grossly misinterpreted passages of the Old Testament. Yeah, but I, okay. It what? says he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Granted. <laughs> that doesn't sound pleasant. Granted, Howard, if you go out and you call someone a wild donkey of a man. It's on. Well, actually, we have some friends that maybe if you call them a wild donkey of a man, he'd take it as a yeah. Yeah, great be like, compliment. Yes, I yes, am. Yes, I am. That's right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we tend to think in the 21st century being a wild donkey of a man is not a blessing. But look in the passage, uh, for instance, Job... I think Job, was it chapter 6, Howard? I don't remember. We looked at it a little. 39, 39 5 yeah. through 8. Oh, you want to read it? Yeah, look at what it says about a donkey there. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? So think about it in the context of here's a slave woman. She's told that you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Ishmael because the Lord has heard of your misery. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Uh, and then we have this issue of his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And some people would say, well, there you go. There are the Muslims right there. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Do you think that the Lord comes along and blesses this woman and gives her this incredible opportunity to name the child? She names God, tells her he's going to have a son. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, he's going to be a crazy man and is always going to be at war. If you look at it in the context of the rest of the Bible, you'll see that being a wild donkey of a man is actually to be free, to never be bridled, to never be under the, the control or power of anyone else. It's to a slave woman, it would have been rather significant. 
But then the, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him is right after that wall down. Okay, so this, this Hebrew word, and I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I know quite a few of them. If you ask them, mm-hmm. what does this Hebrew word mean? And you look at the history of the translation of this Hebrew word, it can be translated as in uh, spatiality, that uh, his, uh, he'll live to the east of all of his brethren rather than in hostility, or he'll live uh, in hostility. It could be like uh, adversarial. Ad- Adversity? adversarial oh there it is, adversarial. There it is. Okay. adversarial and so it, it depends on what translation you're reading and here's the interesting thing the translations become increasingly negative as the views about muslims become increasingly negative because no. think about it you have rabbis named ishmael ishmael was not looked at as a bastard child as a curse wait wait all jewish the way rabbis until, named ishmael yes and if you look at the history of ishmael you'll see that he is looked at as a blessing and he is looked at as somebody that god does incredible things through and we see that in scripture and then all of a sudden when the muslims start tying their lineage back to ishmael ishmael kind of takes a shift in in the interpretation even even in the artwork i mean the artwork you can see in the medieval artwork ishmael is is a very negative figure but when you look at pre-islamic text looking at the way the jews viewed ishmael he was never a bad guy i mean ishmael's not a bad guy as a matter of fact I tried to name Benjamin Ishmael. <laughs> Wait, Benjamin, your son. Yes, I, I had a, uh, you know, when you have, you've got five of them, you know, when you right. have kids, you, kids, you yeah. have a uh, little bit of a, a naming war with the wife, and right. you have veto power. Right. So Katie had some ideas of names she wanted. I had ideas of names I wanted. I threw out a couple, you know, soft pitches, sandbag names right. that I knew that I really didn't want, but it would right. just get vetoed right away, like Hulk or something like right. that. <laughs> the Hulk. And eventually, just get those out of the way. <laughs> eventually, I come up with Ishmael, and Katie looks at me, and she says, no, you wow. are not going to make our son a sermon illustration. But yet, here oh. he is today. So she knew, she knew that I thought Ishmael had a bad rap in the Scripture. And this was 10 years ago when yeah. I first started looking at this. More people have looked at this and actually started to write some books on it. The, the best one out there is Tony Maloof, uh, Arabs in the Shadow of Israel. Fantastic book. But you can read uh, all that you want on this, and you can look at all the different ways that this is translated. But ultimately, uh, Sarah or, uh, Hagar goes back to Abraham. And if you can imagine going back to Abraham and saying, uh, I had an encounter with the angel of the Lord in the desert, and he said to me, I will increase your descendants so much that they'll be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord said, you're now pregnant, and you're going to have birth to a son, and the angel of the Lord named the son Ishmael. Do you think that would have sounded familiar to Abraham based on Genesis chapter 12? It sounds very close. And so I'm thinking, and this is totally me thinking, uh, Abraham at this point probably assumes that this is the blessing that's coming. I mean, why else would the angel of the Lord tell her the same thing that the angel of the Lord told me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so this is in between. This is Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to make your descendants too numerous. Uh, I'm going to bless you, all those who are going to be blessed by you. And then all of a sudden you have in Genesis 16, Hagar uh, gets blessed by the angel of the Lord saying, you're going to have your descendants so much that they'll be too numerous to count. And then when she goes back and tells Abraham that, what else is he supposed to think? Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at it right now. That's crazy. So then in Genesis chapter 17, we have this issue. (laughs) I think up until this point, Abraham is pretty well convinced that Ishmael is his one and only son. Ishmael is the one who's going to be the blessing. Everything that God has said is going to happen through Ishmael. And then God comes in Genesis chapter 17 and says, it's actually going to come through Sarah. Right. Abraham falls on his face and he says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. 
in, in Genesis, how I read it for me, Genesis 17, verse 18, uh, oh, if, God might li- if only Ishmael might live under your blessing, in 19, God says what? God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And I- now, if you read that in the NASB, ESV, it's always going to say no. But if you read it in the NIV, yes. it's going to say yes. All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you You want to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you, bringing this show to the world, then email us and let us know. Because the word actually is a yes but or a no but, and you can translate it either way. Right, because there's a but right here, no but. And, yes, if, you, but, yeah, and okay. if you stop your sermon right there, you could say, there you go. Ishmael's not going to be blessed. But keep reading, and you'll see what he's going to do with Ishmael. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting uh, covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He, shall father, he shall father 12 princes. And he does. And I'll make him into a great nation. Yep. Just like he said to his mother in the desert, right after this supposed curse of being a wild donkey of a man. It's, it's so weird, because like whenever you read scripture and uh, there's some like theme I'm looking for, like interested in some topic, and then like uh, things I've never seen before just start popping out. This is it, man. Oh, man. I think this is a great starting point for Muslims. If they tie themselves back, at least spiritually, they see themselves as grafted in to Abraham through Ishmael. Why not start with Ishmael and the blessing of Ishmael, that God does bless Ishmael? Because... A little bit later in Genesis chapter 21, you see that there's something that happens between Isaac and Ishmael, and Sarah sees it, and Sarah basically tells Abraham, you need to get rid of this uh, slave woman and her son. And so that's exactly what happens. And this is the passage that that guy was referencing at the beginning of the podcast when oh, he right. says, the, the, you know, cast out the slave woman. That's what Gen- Galatians chapter 4 says, cast out the slave woman, because the slave woman will never share in the inheritance of basically Isaac. And so that's what he was referencing based on the New Testament, pointing back to Genesis chapter one, uh, 21. But here's the thing. God says, listen to your wife. Go ahead, basically cast her out. And he says not to worry about it because he's going to make the slave woman uh, and her son into a nation because he's part of your offspring. And early the next morning, Abraham takes him. He sends him out with food and water and he sets him on their way. Now, If God wasn't instrumental in the beginnings of Ishmael's life, he certainly was instrumental in preserving his life the first time in his mother's womb. Now, here's the the third time, right? They're out in the desert, probably heading back for Egypt. They run out of water. Everything is gone, all of the food. Uh, Hagar lifts up her voice. She begins to weep. She goes off. She sets the boy down. He's probably a young teenager at this point. And she sits there and she begins to sob. And who shows up? An angel of the Lord again. And the angel of the Lord basically says to her, calls to her from heaven and says, Hagar, uh, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And that's exactly what God does. And we see at the end of the story that God is with him as he grows up in the desert and he becomes an archer. And while he's living in the desert of Paran, his mother gets a wife from him from Egypt. Now, this is where the two stories divide. So that's the end of, not really the end of Ishmael. We see Ishmael and Abraham, uh, Ishmael and Isaac again later at the burial of Abraham. Right. We see the tribes of Ishmael later in Isaiah and other places. Right. But as far as the division goes, as far as Muslims are concerned, 
Abraham and Ishmael go together down into the desert of Paran, which they say is Mecca, and they build the Kaaba, which is the the big black cube yeah. there at the, at the Grand Mosque Wait, in, so in Mecca. Wait, so they believe that Ishmael and Isaac build that together? No, Ishmael and his father, Abraham. Wait, Ishmael and, I mean, uh, okay, say that again. Ishmael and I, uh, Abraham build the, the, the Kaaba. Kaaba. Right. So it's argued that Adam, the first Muslim, Adam, was created by God from a, a clay uh, and breathed life into him, that he laid the cornerstone, and that from there, uh, Abraham and Ishmael later find it and build the current, what we know today as the Kaaba. And that's why there's such a, a significance with Ishmael. There's two traditions in the Hadith, the, one of the books that the Muslims will look at for their sources, and there's two different stories about Abraham and Ishmael building the Kaaba. Okay. And we're going to talk about that some later, right? Right, yeah, because there's a lot of biblical foundations that it's difficult to understand Islam without the Torah, and it's difficult to understand sort of some of the, the people that are mentioned in Islam without the Torah. So you have uh, Ishmael, you have Isaac, you have Abraham, you have Moses, David, all these different prophets. and so. But when you look at the foundations, they're looking all the way back to the building of the Kaaba. They're looking to Ishmael. Uh, in, in, the, in the biblical story, we see that she sets him down and she goes away. In the Islamic account, she sets him down and then she runs up to a mountain and she looks to see if she can find anyone. And then Hagar runs from Safwa Mountain all the way over to Marwa Mountain. She looks to see if she can find someone and she does this seven times. Hmm. And that's when the angel of the Lord brings water to them. Now that's why during uh, Ramadan or during the Hajj, when they're on their Hajj, they will run between the mountains and go to Zamzam, which is the Zamzam well that was provided for Hagar and for Ishmael there in the desert when they ran out of water. A uh, question about, um, you know, how everything kind of shifted towards the um, Christian Judaistic view of Ish- Ishmael um, as uh, Muslims started to become viewed as negative. Did anything change with Muslims on their side about uh, their view of Ishmael and Isaac? Because I know that Muslims have no problem with Isaac. No, they don't have any problem with Isaac. They look at um, Isaac as being blessed as well, but they do look at the... I would say that most Muslims today look at Ishmael as being a the firstborn uh, an inheritor. And is that because the views have changed towards Ishmael and owning the identity of Ishmael towards Muslims or whatever? It could be. Like I said, there's so much political ideology that gets thrown into all of this because the, the New Testament does talk about this. And, and we'll close with this because we have to talk about somebody's probably thinking in their mind, yeah, but what about Galatians 4? Yeah, I was going to ask Because Galatians that. 4, you have a mention of being born under the law, born under the flesh, and being born under the promise. And those who are born under the flesh are Hagar and the Ishmaelites, the descendants of Ishmael. And those born under the promise are Abraham and Isaac. So that's referenced right there. And Paul mentions that in Galatians chapter 4, right after Galatians 3, where he talks about the, the promise that comes through Isaac being Christ. So what is he talking about in Galatians chapter 4? That's what this guy was referencing when he talks about uh, the inheritance, not sharing it. Here's the most, if this is an irony, I don't know what is. But if you look at the context, the people that are born under the law are not Arabs. They're actually Jews. Paul is talking about Judaizers that are not willing to accept grace. He's writing to the Galatians and saying that those born under the Spirit are those of you that understand the blessing of the Spirit of God and the grace of God. Those of you that want to live under the law, you are the descendants of Ishmael. Hmm. Crazy, right? And, yeah. and people are like, well, yeah, they're talking about Arabs and Muslims. And I'm thinking, they're not mentioned in the Bible, friend. They don't exist yet. Yeah, that's right. All the things that uh, separate us now. Hey, so are you saying that um, 
Paul was just using this as an illustration that Hagar... He uh, actually says it at the very beginning. He says this is meant to be taken allegorically. <laughs> if you look at the beginning of chapter 4 right there, talking about the... Uh, oh, right, right, you're right. It's uh, Galatians 4.24. These are to be taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. The women represent two covenants. Right. One right, covenant right. is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands in Mount, and goes on to explain the, right. the two covenants. And one is a covenant of grace. One is a covenant of law. And it has nothing to do with Muslims, Arabs, or anything like that. Right. He's not making a value judgment. That's interesting. No, not at all. But this is the passage where so many people are saying, this is why Muslims are not responding to the gospel, because God wanted it this way. And I'm thinking, you are totally misreading the scripture. This has nothing to do with Arabs or Muslims. Hmm. If you wanted to draw the connection, here's where I would draw the connection. Isaac is a representation of the blessing that's going to come, which is Christ, that's to bless all the nations. Ishmael is a representation of all the nations that are going to need the blessing. Hmm. That's good. Um, for people that are really interested in this topic, do you have a, any resources? You mentioned Tony what? Uh, Tony Malouf, Malouf has a book, Arabs in the Shadow of Israel. Colin Ooh. Chapman wrote a, a paper back in the 80s on Ishmael and Isaac. I believe it's called Ishmael Revisited. Um, those are the only two that I'm aware of, and there might be an, an, a couple more. I had a student recently submit something on Ishmael and Isaac that was good, and I can look back for those resources that he used. Right, we'll put those on uh, links on the website. So Yeah, but this is a good starting point. I mean, if you're going to think about Islam, you have to start um, probably right here in Genesis chapter 12, and then you'll start to see the development of uh, Islam actually does come from a lot of sort of biblical roots, which is why uh, John of Damascus actually wrote Heresy of the Ishmaelites, right? Because John of Damascus believed that uh, Islam was actually a Christian heresy. That's the way he saw it. And we'll talk more about that another time. Anyway, but uh, thank you guys for listening. Again, iTunes, as always, subscribe if you like it. Um, write reviews if you love it. We'll see you week. Uh, next week.